Hey there, my name is Chris Wallace, and I am the lead pastor at Hope City Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. We exist to lead people to enjoy Jesus and multiply disciples in real life. We are so glad you're checking out our podcast today. We hope this message inspires you, challenges you, and most importantly, draws you closer to Jesus in a real way. For more information about Hope City, you can check out our website at hopecitybismarck.com. So there I was. We, we started this story last week. There I was on the bench, keeping it warm, doing a great job. Um, when something happened on the field when I was playing high school football, my first ever high school game, finally I heard the coach call my name. When I heard my name, I didn't just nod at him. I didn't just really ponder what was happening. I leapt off the bench, fired up, and ran to him, probably more excited than I should have been. Um, Ran over to him, and he told me that I was going to go in the game as left outside linebacker. This was like the moment. I was so, so pumped. And when he called my name, I didn't stay on the bench When he called my name, that was a call to get off the bench and into the game. And so we're in this series right now called Off the Bench. And that's the idea we're looking at is this reality that Jesus has saved us for a purpose. Yes, he saved us from the penalty of our past. And that's incredible. And that's awesome. But that's not all Jesus has done. And yes, he saved us for a future, a glorious future with him. But that's not all he's done right here, right now. Jesus has also saved you for a purpose to be called to him. So today, if you belong to Jesus, you've been called by Jesus. You've been called by Jesus into something, not just to spectate, not just to sit by, but to get off the bench and in the game with Jesus. And so right now, your life, if you belong to Jesus, has a new purpose and a new direction that's been set by Jesus The direction of our lives is not up to us anymore. He is Lord, and our lives belong to him for whatever he wants, for wherever he wants to lead us. And there's really no better place for any of us to live than to live with Jesus. There's nothing higher or greater for your life than living for what he wants for you. So what we're going to look at today is what does it mean to be called by Jesus? Last week, we looked at um, the fact that we serve and everything we do for Jesus comes out of what he's done for us. So we serve from being served. That's what it really means to be a servant in the kingdom. And today we're going to look at this next idea about being called by Jesus. What has he called us to? And so grab your copy of the scriptures. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We're going to spend... A few weeks in Ephesians, kind of unpacking these first 16 verses in depth, looking at who we're called to be as the church. Now, the point of Ephesians, uh, every book of the Bible has a context to it. It's very important that we understand that, that when you open your Bible, you don't just open it, start reading verses and decide what it means for you. It doesn't matter what it means for you. It matters what it meant. Okay, and then based on that, we can apply it to our lives. And so we always want to understand what the letters uh, are about. And so there's this context. The Apostle Paul um, was writing to this group of churches in Ephesus uh, who used to be pagan worshipers, used to be everything 
opposite of the people of God and, and loved it, lived lives of sensuality and sin of anything you could imagine. That's what their lives were filled with. And then here they are. They've encountered Christ in the gospel. They've been saved. They've been transformed. And now they have this brand new existence with Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to show them what God has done in Jesus, who he has made them, and now what that really looks like in real life. And so simply put, the book of Ephesians is about the fact that Jesus changes everything. We are not who we used to be. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our failures and our struggles and our sins. We're not defined by this world. We're not defined by our accomplishments or our successes. We are defined above and beyond by Jesus who he says we are, what he says is true about us. Now we are the sons and the daughters of God. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, citizens of heaven, and called to something completely brand new in Christ. And so in these first six verses, we're going to look at three questions today. What does it mean to be called by Jesus? How do we live out this calling? And why do we live out this calling? What does it mean to be called by Jesus? How do we live out this calling? And why do we live out this calling? So join me here in verse one. And let's jump in here. Paul says, I, therefore. Okay, so you guys are good Bible scholars. So this is going to be a cheesy reminder to you. But anytime in scripture that you see a therefore, you ask, what's it therefore? Isn't that such a fun thing that I'm sure you're like, everybody says that, Chris. But yes, it's so important when you come to a passage and you see, therefore, that immediately tells you something's before it. So as a result, whatever you're about to look at needs to be built on what you've just come from. So that's so important. And here in chapter four, this is a very significant moment in the book of Ephesians. This is not just any therefore. This is like the hinge for the whole book. The whole direction of the book changes at this moment. So check this out. There's six chapters in the letter of Ephesians. And the entire first three chapters are all about what God has already done in Christ to save us. And they're about who we are now by faith in Christ. That phrase in Christ is in there a ton of times. But what's really interesting, there's only one command in three chapters. Just one. In the whole letter of Ephesians, there's 41. Okay, so I want you to think about the second half of the book has 40 commands. The first three chapters has one. Do you know what that one command is in the first three chapters? Remember the gospel. It's amazing. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's, it's, it's not you doing something to earn a position with God. It's you receiving what he's done for you in Christ, being transformed by that and living a life out of that, of who God has made you. And so Paul here Um, begins this in, in chapter four, and this is a huge transition. Listen to what he says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So in light of all that God has done, in light of the gospel, in light of all the incredible blessings that are now yours in Christ, in light of who you are now forever in Christ, Paul says, here's what you do now. You walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, so first, what does it mean to be called by Jesus? A little bit earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, 
Paul gives us this incredible picture of what it means to be called by Jesus. And I just want us to read these verses together. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, if you're following along in your Bibles. And this is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Meaning you were stuck. You had no hope. There was no way out. You were dead. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's grim and that's dark. Okay, that's that's who we were, Paul says. But then I love this. It's one of the biggest buts in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just to put all of that into a sentence, I mean, that is a passage you read for the rest of your life and never quite get to the bottom of it. It is absolutely awesome. Um, I've studied this passage more times than I can count. And every time it is just fresh rain to my soul. But this is what it means to be called by Jesus. We have been called to new life in Jesus Christ and out of sin and death. We've been called into new life in Jesus Christ and out of sin and death. That we were in the grave, as Paul says we were, stuck, no hope. And Jesus called into the grave and said, live, come out. And we rose to life. It says, God made us alive together with Christ. That changes everything. That changes everything about what your life means, about who you are, about the purpose and the direction, about how you live and what you do in the day-to-day stuff. We've been called into the resurrection life of Jesus. We've been called into freedom from sin. We've been called into being children of God. We've been called into being filled with the Spirit of God. We've been called into enjoying the fullness of who Jesus is, into living for the glory of God in a redeemed relationship. We have been called to new life. Now, I want you to just hold all that in your mind. That's what therefore means. Now, look back at what verse 1 says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now Paul's about to move into how do we live this out? That's what the calling is. That's what you've received. That's what God says is true about you, regardless of how you feel today. That's what God says is yours. You've already received that call by Christ. Now, how do we live it out? There's three things I want to show you here. The first is we live it out wholeheartedly for Jesus. So Paul says, this is unbelievably amazing. You're alive in Christ. You're brand new. You're in the kingdom of almighty God. You're forgiven, loved, accepted, secure, free in Christ. There's no higher or greater calling or privilege or greater status for you. Now, therefore, he says, I urge you, I plead with you. Literally, that word means I beg you to live that out wholeheartedly. 
You can't sit on the bench. You can't just spectate. If this is true, it is all-encompassing. It takes over everything in our lives. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, Paul isn't saying that you have to earn your calling or that you have to keep it by obeying Jesus. He's saying because you belong to Jesus, because the gospel has redefined you, you can't settle for the same old life you've been living. You can't just coast along doing what you've always done. You have to embrace this new life and live your real life like Jesus is truly alive, like he's truly better than anything, like his kingdom matters more than anything. I want you to do this real quick. You're like, okay, this is fun. Okay, just do that. Most everybody's on board. Few people aren't. It's okay. I feel you. Okay, now I want you to imagine you're holding a box. Have you ever seen Hook? Has anyone seen Hook? That's my, that's such a cool movie where like the stuff just starts to appear. If that happens, it'd be super cool. Um, but you're holding a box right now, okay? And it says fragile on it, okay? You don't know what's in it. You're just holding a box that says fragile on it, Okay? So that's just a box. You feel fine. It's great. Your only instruction is don't drop it or break it. Okay, we can handle that, right? Now I want you to imagine inside of this box, you're given a little bit of information. And now you know this is the Cullinan diamond, which is the largest rough cut diamond that's ever been discovered. And it's worth $4 million. But that box, I know you don't have a real box, but like, does that box feel different? All of a sudden, do you, do you look at this thing in your hands as like, Okay, why am I holding this? What is the scenario of how I got to hold this box? And you know, the way you care for it, you can put your hands down. Put the box down, please. Please don't break the diamond. It's worth $4 million. But you know, your attitude towards that, if you were really holding something and you learned it's that precious in a moment, just because of the sheer worth of the object, your whole attitude about it changes. The way you're holding it, you're like, oh, now, now I really can't drop it. Now I really don't want to mess it up. I want to ask you, when you think about your salvation, your calling from Jesus into life with him, what is it worth to you? Is it precious? Is it more valuable than anything else? Is it like the pearl of great price that the man went and sold all that he had and bought the entire field just so he could have the pearl? Paul says, live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, what he's saying is live in a way that shows how precious your salvation really is. Now, just you personally, think about the way you live your life right now. Think about the last week, the last month. Does your life say that your salvation matters to you? Does your life say that, yes, Jesus is my treasure? Or does it say, Maybe Jesus is just a part of my life. Maybe Jesus is just on par with some other things. That's the calling here. Paul's saying, if you really get this, you have to understand we need to live in a manner worthy of the greatness. We belong to Jesus now. Every part of us, we are his. And that's now how we plan everything, how we think, how we speak, how we live. Now, the next thing Paul does is he kind of defines this a little bit. He gives us some parameters for what that looks like. So not only do we live wholeheartedly for Jesus, but we also live humbly toward one another. And this is huge. 
living with living for Jesus is not an isolated thing where it's just you and Jesus. A lot of Christians try to try to figure this out and it's impossible. You can't just live you and Jesus in a mountain somewhere and call that the Christian life. It's not. Um, one of the main ways that you love Jesus and you serve Jesus is through other people. That's why the greatest commandments in the whole Bible, when Jesus was confronted with that question, he said, it's to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you're going to love God, it shows itself through the way that you treat other people. So here's what Paul says. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. So when Jesus saves you, And the spirit of God begins to transform you from the inside out to look more like Jesus. Your life increasingly becomes less about you. As you grow towards Jesus, you grow further away from self. That's the goal. The power of pride is broken in your life and you are called into the better life of humility. My favorite definition for humility ever is C.S. Lewis's definition that humility is not thinking less of yourself It's thinking of yourself less. It means that you are not always the center of the universe. You're not always consumed with yourself. It's literally a life of being joyfully selfless. Think about that. You can be selfless-ish. I mean, you can try to serve others, um, but if that's not really your motivation, if you're not joyful about it, um, it's not, you're not humble. That's not what it looks like. Um, and this idea here to be joyfully selfless is what it looks like to really have the gospel transform you. So this is a call to something that only a person who's saved can actually live out. Only if the power of sin has been broken in your life by Jesus Christ, can that really be a reality? So Paul says, pursue a humble heart. Let the gospel so shape you that you actually think differently about the people around you, about the world around you. You actually feel different about others. Now, there's one other word that he says. He doesn't just say with all humility. He also says gentleness. Now, gentleness is the outworking of humility in your relationships with others. So how do you know if you're growing in humility in your life? you should see an ability to deal with others gently rather than harshly. We are able to lay ourselves down in kindness and service rather than harshness and just taking from others. Uh, I love this statement. We treat people with greater care now because they actually matter to us. You can use people all day long, but when Christ begins to change your life, you start to see people not as something you can can get, not something you can get from someone, but you really start to see them. And so then Paul says one last thing here about how we live out our calling. We live it out wholeheartedly for Jesus, humbly toward one another. And then last, he says, lovingly toward one another. So he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So now we have a passion to love one another because of how we've been loved. That word bearing, it means to take on the weight. It means that I'm not going to let go when things get difficult. I'm not just going to slip out and just let you fall. When it gets hard, when, it's, when it hurts, it means I'm committed. I'm holding on 
to you. Paul says that's the way the body of Christ pursues and cares for one another. Now, why do we do that? I love this. Because we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So that word eager in Greek means to do something with intense effort and motivation. So this means that we are ready to respond in love toward one another at all times instead of reacting because we're in this one family of God together. That we've been made one in Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what all of the end of chapter 2 and 3 is all about, is this mystery of God making one people in Christ and how incredible it is that he broke down all these barriers in every way in himself. And now we're this one body. And, and if we have peace with God, it has to transform our relationships to have peace with one another. And so practically, Paul is saying, as we grow in this, as we, as we live this identity in Christ out more and more, we become more intentional with one another, treating one another with the same care that we treat Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. When you see another believer, another brother or sister, do you treat them as if they are literally Jesus Christ in front of you? And what if you saw them that way? Would you speak to them differently? Would you do something differently? Would you serve them in a different way? That's what the gospel does. It it reshapes how you see the people around you. They're not just church attenders. These are the body of Christ. If you attack the body of Chris, can I tell you a a very crazy thought? It hurts. Like if you come and like attack my arm, it it just hurts. It's not like a segmented part that doesn't affect me. So if you attack the body of Christ in any way, it hurts Jesus. Like the body, it's one body of Jesus. So imagine that, that mindset there that we want to pursue to love one another like we're actually one body. And that's what, that's what Paul tells us last when we look at why do we live out this calling? Why is it so important that we live out this calling that it's not optional, that we get off the bench and into the game? Here's what Paul says. Because there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a common word there. Did you hear it? (laughs) It should be the word one that's highlighted seven times, but um, I'm just kidding. Uh, But it's just amazing. Like the emphasis there of like how much Paul is like beating this drum. Like don't miss the unity of what we're a part of. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. I want to just break these down quickly because there's, there is seven of them. There's one body. It's not my body. It's not your body. Whose body is it? It is the body of Jesus So Paul says, therefore, that's why you walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's not your body. It's not up to you. There's one spirit. It's not our spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus. There's one hope. In Christ, we have an unimaginably great future with him. But it's in him alone that that hope exists. Not in my dreams, not in my finances, not in my plans. In Jesus alone, there's one hope. There's one Lord. It's not me. And it's not you. He's the king who rose from the grave. He's the name above all names. He's the one who has all authority in heaven on earth. He's the one who says, go and you go. 
He alone is Lord and master. There's one faith. There's only one way for salvation and for eternal life. And it's not trusting in yourself and it's not being a good person. It's wholly resting on Jesus Christ and his finished work for you. There's one baptism, meaning there's one identity in Christ for us. We don't define ourselves. Jesus defines us. That's what baptism is all about, is you identify it with a new life in Christ. And the last one Paul says is there is one God and Father of all. There's only one that we aim to please now, and it's not ourselves. It's our Father who has declared us righteous and who has declared us his in Christ Jesus. So why do we need to live this call out? Because we are not our own. Because we belong to Jesus now. And so I am about as weary as possible of seeing Christians that think that somehow we can have church on Sunday and then do whatever we want the rest of the week, like our lives are our own. It's a lie from Satan. It's a distortion of the gospel, and it's not true. If you belong to Jesus, then you have been called by Jesus into this life of living with him. And it changes everything, and it is glorious, and it is better, but it is costly, and it does completely redefine you. But we're called into a brand new life that is greater than the American dream, that is greater than being successful in the eyes of our friends and our neighbors. It's greater than retiring. It's greater than getting attention. It's greater than absolutely everything. And it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so the call from this passage and the call from this series and the call from our great Savior is get off the bench and get in the game with Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we've been saved for, to get in the game with him.